Hi, Chris. How are you? Good evening, Rod. Yes, sorry about the delay. You had sent me on a rabbit hole of looking to update the firmware on my microphone, and I was just wondering whether I could do it on my iPad. And apparently I can. You really can. I hadn't got that far. I saw there was a Mac version of the software and a Windows version of the software. But Yep, there's an iOS one. I won't do it well with the middle of recording, though. So maybe that's feedback for next week. No, I think I've done enough messing around with the audio sources today. I was slightly inspired. I was listening to the ATP podcast and they were buying some new equipment and some microphones and things on that. So I went off looking to see if there was new software and bits and pieces for ours because we both have the same microphone, the Rode NT USB one, which is quite unfashionable in podcast land. I think most people have very fancy XLR condensing microphones. And the one that were being recommended to buy was like a down from $700 to $400. And that's too rich for my blood. Yeah, well... I guess if you're super into it and you make a living from it, I can understand why, but we're not there yet. Yeah, I think for me, this is a good, let's just try without spending too much money and see if we get any traction. And two, when I did record that episode from inside my car, super portable microphone to carry, and it's all USB-C, so you don't need any preamps or anything like that. So I don't know, I think it's a good start a microphone, not being a snob about it. No, I'd agree with you. I think it's 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 a good place to start. And one of the points they make very well on that is you can start a podcast without all sorts of professional podcasting stuff. I mean, these are good microphones, I'd say, without being, you know, super high-end, super quality microphones and sort of a good balance, really. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Like I said, I think it seems to be a good good start for 10 if you want to try it but not spend a fortune. Yeah, fair enough. And then maybe, a, you know, 100, 100 quid or so in software because I've bought some stuff for the Mac, particularly Audio Hijack is a really nice piece of software. But I think what else comes along with it, like we've just discovered, as you've discovered for your iPad, Rode actually make a free piece of software as well, the download that would get you started. And I noticed on the Mac version, I presume on the iPad version, you can actually source four local microphones with it. So if you were doing a local sat in the same studio thing, it will actually record that from four different sources. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that does look kind of cool. I probably need to have a proper look at this. I've literally just plugged in the microphone and started recording with you and not done anything else with it. So maybe as we come up to our anniversary, we should move to the next level. Quite possibly. Anyway, should we fire in, fire in a follow-up? Oh, well, hang on, it's episode 51 and it's the 8th of January, 23. So yeah, nearly nearly our year. This time next week, we won't be millionaires, but we've done a year's worth of episodes. There'll be some little bit of us left forever on the internet floating around in audio form. That's quite nice, isn't it? Yeah, that is true. Okay, follow-up. So I think I've got a couple of bits just in follow-up briefly. So first one was photo organisation, bit of a dull subject, but I think I mentioned previously I was doing the shared photo library over Christmas with my wife, and I've got a few photos that I've taken pre-iPhone era, and I wanted to bulk update the meta tags on it. And I was listening to another podcast, iPad Pros, and they were talking about an app called Hash Photos. Have you ever heard of Hash Photos? I have not. Okay, well, apparently it's very good for doing what I want to do, where you want to tick 50 photos and go, give them this date. And all I really want to do is give them the right date, because at the moment, these photos are showing up at 1997, and they should be 2002, I think, or 2003. And so I just want to move the date so they're in the right sequence in my photo library. So it hash photos. Um, it's got an in-app purchase, which I haven't looked at yet, because I haven't got that far. But it's the all-in-one pack is only six ninety nine, so I think I feel quite comfortable if I can do my bulk updating with it. I'd rather do it in this, and I don't need to go back to my Mac. But I just thought I'd mention it as a continuation of my trying to get all my digital stuff sorted out this year, which is a bit of a theme for me. I've done all my usernames and passwords. I've changed my emails. It's nearly done the photo library. But I just thought I'd mention it as it seems to be well revered. No, that's really interesting. I mean, I said last week how some of the dates on on. Uh 
some of my photo library had gone astray as well. So that's quite an interesting thing. I see it is only an iPad and an iPhone OS. It's not on Mac. Presumably there's other tools in the Mac if you want to bulk update your photo library, but I haven't looked into that yet. Yeah, see, I think when I looked before, I only found Mac ones. And so when somebody said this was available on the iPad, I was like, done, that's just what I need. So it looks interesting. So I'm surprised it's not on the Mac if it's on the iPad that they haven't ported it back. But maybe it was written pre all the Apple tools to, to port it back. Yeah, that is interesting. No, like I say, Hash Photos only seems to be an iPad app, which is fine. As you say, there's plenty of things out there to manipulate your photo libraries. In fact, I think there was a change a few years ago Apple made to allow other apps like Pixelmator to be able to manipulate the iPhoto library directly. So maybe there's so much support for that they felt there was no point in develop, uh, developing a Mac version. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, Pixelmator, both on the Mac and the PC, can edit directly into your photo library. So when you go save, it goes, you sure you want to modify this photo? And you just go, yes, and it's very good. Yep, fair enough. No, that's good feedback. Next bit of follow-up briefly me, my iPad Magic keyboard is broken for my iPad Pro. The spacebar's intermittent at best. So I ordered a new one, and I went white this time just because I fancied a change. But this is my third Apple Pro Magic keyboard folio thing in when we were doing it come out three years ago. So it's not a great success rate that they last about 18 months. I use it a lot, but it's not my only keyboard. But I do realize if I don't have a keyboard and trackpad on my ipad i don't use it as much so i need a trackpad i'm completely hamstrung without it so yeah three folio keyboards in just over three years how much is a folio keyboard 379 pounds so that's 900 pounds of keyboards in three years yeah that's and i've owned two ipads in that period that's not a great hit rate really is it no, it's not fantastic, and it's not good for the environment, and it's not good for the, oh, look, I could just buy a new iPad and carry on using my peripherals. So um, not fe- I wasn't feeling great about the purchase because the three Magic Keyboards I purchased have barely changed in the three years that I've been purchasing them, and that's why I went for the white one, just to have, a, have something different. But I wonder how long the white one will be white before it turns into grey. Yeah, it's not a good look at it. I mean, my previous job when I worked in NHS IT... I think I've mentioned this in the podcast before. If I haven't, I apologize for retelling the story. All the admin staff would burn out the M keys on their keyboards because hospital numbers are all started with an M. So if you're typing and looking up a patient, you'd hit the M key and then the rest of it. But that was a three quid Dell keyboard. So, you know, by the time, and, and even then you'd get at least two years use out of them, you know, a bog standard thing. So there's a dramatic difference between replacing a keyboard like that that gets a lot of use from from, from people searching for patients and things like that. Compared to, I'm, I'm not denying you use your iPad an awful lot. That's not what I'm saying, but the, the economics of that don't sound right to me. Then the economics do sound right, but also when I'm in my shed as I am now, and I generally work in here three days a week, I've got an external keyboard and mouse, so I take it out of the case. So it is very disappointing. And when I go in the office, I have a keyboard and mouse in my office. So I largely use it when I'm in the house or when I'm on a train or out and about. So it does get used a lot, but I wouldn't say excessive. So it is disappointing. That is disappointing. You've kind of vaguely inspired me to go and Google and see if there's actually a systemic problem with the magic. Which one is it? Magic what? Magic keyboard folio. These names also, are- the, the frustrating thing with it is it also adds an incredible amount of weight to your iPad. So it is a fantastic device. The way it balances the iPad, I love it. But it is a lot of money and it is frustrating. It hasn't really changed in three years. Like, where's the function row? Can we have better USB-C Thunderbolt on it? Because it would be ideal for docking because it's got the port on the side, on the opposite side to where the port is on your iPad, but it only does slow charging on it. It doesn't do anything fancy. 
So um, I'm curious to know where they go with it in a few years' time, but that smart connector has never really taken off. I did briefly consider getting a bridge keyboard, but that's just another thing you've got to charge. And I don't know, just it looked just as clunky, if not more. I got to say, before I moved to the M1 iPad, the iPad Pro I had before came with, and again, the keyboard cases for iPads leave me behind, but it was the one that you could fold the keyboard back onto it. So, yep. it, yeah, you know, just probably just a smart keyboard it may have been what it was. And it, it didn't light up, but it was actually a terrific keyboard. It had only two angles for adjustment. You'd slot it in. But that's still working, you know, that, that and doesn't precisely fit the M1 iPad because the camera shape changed slightly in it. But actually, it would magnetize to it, sort of clip into it, and you could get on and use it. And I'm with you. The, the, the keyboard you're talking about breaking all the time is really, really heavy. And yeah, it gets it at not a bad angle and you can at least adjust it and all the rest of it. But it's it, this, this not the best of, you know, going for it. Neither of us are that sold on it as a thing. And if the space bar keeps broken, that's, that's, that's not brilliant. No, it's not good at all. The smart keyboard that you referred to, I actually quite like that because I don't know what they did with the keys, but you could just get a wipe and run it over all the keys. There was no gaps. It was kind of semi-fabric, like a very stiff fabric. And so nothing could get underneath the keys. And I, th I thought that was a fantastic keyboard. Obviously, you could only put the iPad at two angles, which wasn't as good. And there obviously is no trackpad with it. But yeah, the keyboard situation on the iPad is very fragmented. Kind of back to our last show where we talked about all the fragmentation. It's probably about four different keyboards you can buy for the iPad just from Apple, let alone going external. Yeah, I was in an Apple store today, actually. I was buying my daughter a new case for her iPhone. And that's quite a, an amusing situation as well. You go in and say, can I have a case for this iPhone? What iPhone is it? It's an iPhone 13. Ooh, we don't have a lot of that. You know, it's all pretty much iPhone 14 cases in here now if you want one. So the choice of whatever it is, nine or 10 colors that, used to, that was there with the iPhone 13 uh, when they came out in silicone was down to only three that were available in the store. I think you could have black, you could have blue, and the product red, and that was it. So that, that's not great either, is it really? I mean, they still sell the iPhone 13, I think, in the lineup. You can go and buy them, and if you can't, there's certainly lots of them kicking around in, in the refurb world. They made lots of cases. Even if they're not making them new, I bet there's still quite a lot clustering up warehouses and things, so that wasn't great. But my point was, that's great, not great. But the sheer plethora of iPads and accessories and things like that as you were walking into the Apple store was really quite overwhelming. It's mad they don't sell a case for a one-year-old iPhone. Like, yeah. well, they sell very few, sorry, apologies. Yeah. But that is bad. Because people go, oh, my case is broken, it's a year old, I'll get a new one. Well, this was it. I mean, her case, she had a sort of a peach-coloured one, which she really liked. Uh, bought it new with the phone when it came along. And the whole case, the whole back of the case, the silicone on it was was sort of wrinkling up and peeling off. So just through use, I mean, she wasn't abusing it. She wasn't taking the case on and off every five minutes. Just through use. And it wasn't discolored even. It was just the, the actual structure of it was breaking down. The, the lip around the sort of top of the, the, the phone wasn't protecting it anymore. It was a disaster, just in normal use. And again, that's not great quality control. No, that's not fantastic at all. And I think I've got a silicon case for my Pro, but I'm not using it at the moment. But hmm, maybe I should use it a little bit and see how it wears. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't use an official Apple key case on my phone anymore. I use one by a company called Kadabe, C-A-U-D-A-B-E. And I've been really impressed with the sort of rigidity of it, the fact that it's got the MagSafe connector built into the back of it. It's it's a really good, strong case without adding an awful lot of bulk to the phone. I'll try and get the link for the show notes for the actual case I have on there. I know you go caseless and you rock that world, but you know, it's 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 that's two shows in a row now. We've been a bit whingy about Apple's sort of environmental prospects and how they continue to sort of maintain the longevity of the devices and how much they charge for some of this stuff. 
Yeah, the charge is a bit excessive. I was just using my phone as a torch to do the oil in their car in our house, and I was a little precarious with it because it's got no case on it, and I thought, oh, it's going to be all right. Luckily, it was all fine, but it, it does add a moment of caution into the into the tale of using it as a torch for a relatively simple task. Yeah, easy. Anything else in follow-up? I don't believe so. Should we go on to news, rumours, brackets, CES predominantly? Let's crack on. So we said last week we'd maybe just pick out a few bits of CES that looked interesting. So the first thing I've put in there is, I'm going to pronounce the name wrong, Akara? Yeah. Yeah, we'll go with that. Announces exciting new HomeKit products for 23. And I'm, I'm interested in this because I do want to get a smart lock for my shed so I can get rid of the key. And I would love a doorbell that uses HomeKit Secure Video. And they've been quite hard to get hold of in the UK. I wanted the Logitech one, but it never came out over here. And I was just interested in it because they're talking here of having a smart lock tick, that's some guy I want, and a video doorbell, which looks a bit chunky, but looks okay. And I just thought it was interesting. And they're coming in 23. You could see the price points of it. Really, I just want the Logitech one to ship, if I'm honest, in the UK, because I've got the Logitech Circle camera, which is perfect. Can I have that as my doorbell, please? But no, I was interested. What, what do you think about these? Any of these of interest? I'm quite interested in smart locks, I've got to say. You can't get many in the UK. I believe there's many more in America within their ecosystem that you can do and across Europe, potentially. It seems all the ones that you can get in the UK are made by Yale. Their security is dreadful. You know, it's dead easy to break into a house that has a Yale smart lock on it. So that's put me off, even though... They're designed to more or less swap out for the existing Yale lock that are fairly standard in the UK, I think. You know, the, the sort of snib-based, you, you leave the leave it locked or leave it unlocked sort of back box to those things. You can swap them out. So I didn't go Yale. I am quite interested in smart locks. And there is the worry about, you know, being completely locked outside of your house without, you know, the, unable to get in. So I'm a bit cautious about them, but they're the things that are most interesting. Video doorbells. I have a video doorbell as part of my home Wi-Fi setup, my Unify setup gives me a G4 Pro doorbell or something like that that I'm reasonably pleased with, although it does lose connection with the Wi-Fi a bit more regularly than I'd like. The rest of the cameras are all wired Ethernet around the place, power over Ethernet, and they're rock solid. So it, that, that's a bit of a shame. So I, I'm vaguely interested, but I don't think I'd... Re- I'm not interested enough to replace with one of these. I think for me, I've got the Ring doorbell. I got it very cheap. It's, it's been pretty good. No complaints about it, but I want it in the Home app. I just want to get rid of one more app. And I wouldn't mind it to use the HomeKit Secure Video, which my, like I said, my Logitech camera on my shed does. So I like the idea, though, of a smart lock because it's one more thing I can delete out of my pocket, take my keys with me. I already use that technology to get in and out of my car. Why can't I use it for my shed? And I'd probably start with my shed, build up some confidence before going, you know, for the house because the shed would really only impact me and not my wider family. But it'd be great, like, when my son gets a mobile, he wouldn't need to take a key. He could just have the key on his mobile which would be fantastic so he can come and go from the house. I mean, there's just less things for him to lose. But yeah, like you, I think I'm a little put off just by the security concerns. So we need to see it. I don't know, get some good reviews, be less <laughs> less break-inable, if that is a word. But it is not reassuring that Yale sell it and it's very easy to crack, which isn't what you want to hear, is it? No, not at all. I mean, my experience of, of my own HomeKit cameras, I think I've talked in the podcast before, through Homebridge, I'm able to integrate them with the Apple Home app. I've sent you a screenshot in our chat of, of what that actually looks like for me. And that works extremely well, i got to say. The, the the bridge part of it does anyway. Like I say, the wired cameras are good and the doorbell ones not so much. The, the giving a key to your kids when they come home is definitely an interesting one where my kids in the latter half of well, the last year of primary school and then in the secondary school would walk back and forth to school and would always forget the keys. So my solution to that was 
I've got one of those sort of pin code key safes secured somewhere on my premises, which they knew the, knew the code to that they could go in and get. And that actually worked quite well for the time they started forgetting it. But I agree with you. Something like this on a door somewhere in the house where they could at least get in and out of the rain might have been a useful thing. So it's it's just something to keep an eye on, I think. Yeah, agreed. I think it's quite an infantile market at the moment. It needs to mature. Hopefully it's coming with matter and hopefully a year from now. It's a, it's, a, it's a done solved problem but like you we've got those safe locks for for a key again hidden around the property so that if anybody forgets a key they can just get back in yeah i mean it would be great you know for, particularly for people like airbnb who who let properties out just people send a one-time code that's valid for a weekend and there you go but you need to trust your property secure one of these things and i don't know that we're there that but certainly with the products in the uk so yeah interesting none of these are particularly for me it's good that they're bringing them to market though is the main thing yeah, agreed. And like you say, when it comes to the UK is the thing. The Logitech one, two years down, is still not in the UK. So continuing with CS though, I also put in a link to the best of CS. And this was just from The Verge. And I just thought it was interesting because they mentioned about monitor and it's got BMW in there and talked a bit about matter. All within in sort of my wheelhouse, especially, I guess. So the monitor that they're pulling up the best monitor apparently is not one that we talked about last week, but a Samsung Odyssey ultra wide QD OLED gaming monitor. And I should check in, it's 49 inches. Yeah, it's impressive, isn't it? At, you know, a, a, a 32 to 9 aspect ratio as well. So very, very widescreen. It's not not rectangular in any way, shape, or form. And I, I like a widescreen, i got to say. I think this might be too wide for me. Well, that's kind of where I was going. That's why I was just checking the, the 49-inch number because that just seemed insane to me. That's huge. I I don't think I'd enjoy this. I, I'm I have tried out a few curve monitors recently, and I wasn't a fan. Yeah, this is this is clearly not for me. I'm not a gamer enough for it, and I probably wouldn't want to use it even when I'm doing work. But it's just interesting. They thought that was that was the best monitor ever, including the ones that we, that we discussed, the 5K ones that are probably much more within my wheelhouse. What I would be interested. I mean, I guess what's interesting about this is it's 5,120 by 1440 resolution with a 240 hertz refresh rate. So. If you play flight simulators or something like that, then that's going to be interesting to you because, you know, get a very fast refresh rate. Anything over sort of 140 hertz is, is really quite good. Over 200 is excellent, although you need a correspondingly impressive graphics card to drive that many pixels around the place. For Mac users, the fact that it's a 1440 resolution, isn't it's not 4K, it's not close to 4K, it's 1440p. So it's, it's kind of an awkward halfway house, and I'm willing to put up with that because I have the Mac on one side and I do a bit of gaming PC, and this... This widescreen is enough for me. I wouldn't want to go wider. I wouldn't want to stretch it further than this, really. And frankly, to, if I wanted a 240 hertz or faster a monitor, I'd go to a 27-inch 4K or something like that. just to get, and, and then my graphics card could drive it. I wouldn't need to drop another 1,200 quid in my graphics card to drive something like this. So impressive. It's amazing you can get screens like this to put on your desk. I mean, this used to be the province of televisions, didn't it? 32-inch, 42-inch, these kinds of things. So it's good that they're bringing them and you've got this choice. We were talking about last week how choice is good. Not for Mac users, unless you're gamers as well, though, I'd say. Yeah, this is clearly the flight sim monitor of choice. That's got to be its core market. I mean, imagine if we went back in time 25 years ago and said you could play X-Wing versus TIE Fighter in widescreen on a 49-inch monitor, your mind would have been blown. So it does look interesting. It's not a product for me. I think that's the one. The other thing they mentioned next up was a BMW iVision D. I don't know if you've seen this, but obviously I'm a bit of a BMW fan, as you know, and I actually quite like the look of this car. I thought it looked kind of cool. And the interesting e-ink paint job that they're doing with it, you can change all the panels and different colours and the wheels it's kind of cool and you can see this thing catching on as the next bling status for your paint job 
you know, where people get them wrapped or they get them encrusted in diamonds. If you saw that Rolls Royce, and I saw it look kind of cool, and I quite like the look of the car actually. Good. I thought it looked like a BMW, but a very modern BMW with some classic also lines so yeah i thought it kind of cool it's obviously the time of this sort of cleverer paint so i think i've just put in the show notes as well that made me think of this i saw this in the early part of cas although the verge haven't pulled this out is the vw id7 which is their sort of sedan and it also has this sort of digital camouflage electronic paint job where you could sort of change the paint for what you wanted they've chosen sort of a qr code theme for the one that they showed at ces but it's also quite a cool looking car i gotta say i did watch there's a, a youtuber i like to watch a german youtuber called and i won't i'll mangle the name of the channel it's also Fool. I think is the name of the channel. And he actually gets inside the car. What's putting me off current VWs is the awful in-car touchscreens and things like that. It's just absolutely appalling. Any review you say, good car, batteries are okay, but the internal, all the ID3, ID4, ID6, and it's still in this ID7 because they haven't changed yet. The software's appalling, the touchscreens are dreadful. And no matter how nice a car is looking on the outside or how energy efficient it is, the, the informatics break it to such a degree that I wouldn't consider a, a VW or a Seat car at the moment. Yeah, even I even this has permeated my my window as well. In that, you know, I've heard about the software being bad, and I believe VW are going to bring buttons back because they've realised they've they've gone a step too far with it. What what I find interesting with the paint job they're showing in these pictures, the ID Seven though, is it looks like the camo paint they put on it when they don't want you to see the shape of the car. So it's not a great one to use to demo it. You know, it'd be great to see one. Actually, what does it look like in blue or green or you know, pick a colour so you can actually see the shape of the vehicle. It's quite hard to see the lines of it i think but it looks pretty good but i'd agree with you i've heard so much bad stuff about the infotainment system it's probably not for me yeah it's a bit of a shame i gotta say i bmw iv i vision d is very close to vw id isn't it that they're not showing a lot of imagination in their naming in their nomenclature for these vehicles they're all much of a muchness really it's not a surprise i suppose that bmw and, and vw would be looking at each other being you know manufacturers of a similar scale you know to similar markets and all the rest of it but it shows a certain lack of imagination to me no you're right yeah bmw's i is their their electric range and then obviously vw is the ied with no no further letters. Yeah, so it is a bit weird they've called it IDEE, but it's one of those things. Anyway, I thought it looked kind of cool, and I actually quite like the look of it. Yeah, it's a, it's it's an interesting model for sure. And you, they, but I take your point about the sort of the camouflage making it difficult to see it. They actually look quite similar to me as well. I mean, there's only a sedan is a shape, isn't it? So you know. Yeah. True. True. And then finally, just in the same article, it just mentioned a bit about best in show matter, and I think matter's got the promise, but I don't think anybody's seen anything tangible out the back of it so we, we, i think we just got to wait and see for that one yeah this is it i think you know and I, we've been talking matter on this podcast for at least eight months i think we've, we keep bringing it up and bringing it up apple had a go at releasing it and then pulled it back <laughs> so yeah you know. well it was meant to be the, the thing to solve everything and on paper looks and sounds great and the reality just hasn't delivered yet fingers crossed apple google samsung is it hopefully all all keep pushing away a little and it, Give it another nine months and we'll be in a better place. So those of us that have been in tech for a while are always hearing it's going to be the year of the Linux desktop. Maybe we're going to replace that with the year of matter. Oh, I hope not. Anyway, moving on. So that was the best of CES. Take a look at the two cars. We've put the links in the show notes as well. The next story is mine. And I just thought this was quite interesting from Lenovo. Lenovo released a couple of products, or have announced a couple of products at CES as well. One of which is a... 
the YogaBook 9i, which is a foldable laptop with two screens. So in the same way you're trying to get more screen real estate with your Apple Studio display, it connects to your iPad. Lenovo will sell you a laptop that's two screens with a keyboard that hinges at the bottom. I just think it's quite an interesting device. It's obviously for a very specific person. The other interesting thing about it is it doesn't fold out horizontally. It folds up vertically. It's different. I got to give them that. Yeah, could you imagine somebody on the train with it vertically unfolded? It just, it looks a bit bizarre and a bit unwieldy, but I kind of like where they're going with it. The fact you have two screens and a keyboard and take it anywhere you go, that's pretty cool. And for somebody like me that just has one device like that, a phone and a laptop, that's that's quite a killer device, I think. It looks really interesting. What it's like in reality, you kind of want to play with it for a month. Does it actually live up to it? But I'm interested. Yeah, it's a keyboard. Kind of like the, the keyboard where it's got the triangle out the back to support the, the yeah. device. You need to have it portrait or landscape. It's quite yeah. cool. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a perfect merger of the sort of small Android phones that fold, you know, the, 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 the sort of mini tablet things that fold out. You know, presumably this will run Windows because there's, no, there's nothing else that's going to do that. But you can use it as a left hand, right hand side, one side to scribble your notes on, the other side to have your web pages on. You could fold it back. The, the yoga range of, of tablets and, and laptops has always had this ability with the hinges quite clever where you can fold them up like laptops or fold them back on each other so you can have one screen behind the other and sort of use it in like a tent mode is the best way of probably describing it and then like you say you know you can have the, the screens hinged out with the triangle at the back so you've got the horizontal vertical real estate real estate or you can put the keyboard the other way around and have it in sort of a, a more book-like alignment so it's an interesting looking device yeah interesting i'd like to see one in the wild i think that photo they've got of it showing all the different angles you can have it at looks kind of interesting you can even put the keyboard on top of the second screen if you wanted and i think you can then scribble on the bottom of it so it looks interesting nice to see what it's like in reality yeah but it's again it's nice to see a manufacturer sort of pushing forward with something a little i don't think it'll be successful particularly the laptop has kind of reached its form over function i think the ipad form factor even in the android world is kind of what you'd expect it to be give or take some sort of refinements over maybe slightly bigger screens or better pencil tech or whatever it would be but definitely interesting to see something a bit different i mean we know how well apple's touch bar went when it came sort of touchscreen keyboards and things like that so it's not a surprise they're offering a keyboard with this too yeah, yeah, that is true. You've got to have a keyboard. I think people, we're not there yet for screens. They're just, they're not at the point where they feel tactile enough to be a keyboard. So people will want a keyboard if it's going to be a real work device. Yep, I agree. And then the second story from Lenovo, which I thought was interesting, was they've released or are about to release a, a Think phone to go with their ThinkPad line of computers. The ThinkPad is a very well-regarded laptop line that used to belong to IBM. IBM, when they got out of the hardware business, certainly the consumer hardware business, sold it to Lenovo. Lenovo kept the sort of style of the ThinkPad. They're quite recognizable and they haven't changed their sort of underlying form factor that much. They tend to have a touchpad at the bottom of the screen as well as a red, careful what I say, nubbin in the middle of the keyboard, which you can actually use as a pointer as well. So you add that flexibility, but they have a reputation for being extremely strong devices, very business focused first, good screens, fast processors, etc., etc. And what they're announcing here is a Think Phone, which synchronizes very, very well with your ThinkPad. So there's a piece of software that runs on both and brings some Apple-like features to if you're a heavy ThinkPad, ThinkPhone user. So for example, there's clipboard sync, which even in this variant of the software, according to The Verge, worked beautifully. Yeah, I'm... Um Part of me is thinking, have they not done a Think Phone before now? Because, like you say, the ThinkPad as a generation device is really well respected, and they do use the Think name quite a bit. If I remember, they do, I think, Think Vision for their monitors, and very business orientated. 
I can't believe they haven't done a, a think phone before now. That's that's what I was thinking. But I, I think the design looks quite nice. You know, it looks unapologetic like a smartphone, but it's got a bit of think style to it. Yeah, I think it looks quite good. I'm with you. And we, on our Windows side within the organization, do buy ThinkPads. And they seem to change them a lot more than us Apple types do, frankly. But, you know, they're well-regarded laptops. And we replaced Samsung laptops with touchscreens and all the things you expect within Windows World on them. And they failed at an alarming rate, frankly. So they've been a lot more reliable as a brand than, than Samsung, certainly. But we just found that nobody really used the touchscreen on their Windows device. So in the recent refresh, we just bought non-touchscreen devices. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. The, the, the only nice thing about having a touchscreen on a laptop is that if somebody pokes the screen, you don't feel so bad about it. I always cringe every time somebody pokes my laptop screen or my nice... I'm sure you'd feel the same about your studio display. Somebody walks in and prods it with a finger because people have a real tendency to do that. And that's the only sort of vague comfort. I don't think there's much utility in a touchscreen on a, on a laptop. Uh, yeah, agreed. I was using mine last night then. I had my wife's laptop on my left and my iPad on the right and then I did go to touch the screen on hers a few times because I was just using it like my iPad and well the icons are the same in the dock and I was just I don't know I got confused for a moment easily done anyway I just think this is good these sort of things we take for granted as Apple users with having unified clipboard and you know airdrop and all these features that we're used to from being in our walled garden I'm not surprised they're finally coming to phones. I think Windows actually supports this in some way, shape, or form with Android phones anyway, and obviously just a better implementation of that. So it's good news, I think. Yep, no, it's, it's good. And like I said, I can't believe they haven't done it before. Good stuff. Moving on. You put this next story in the show, in the notes. Oh, did I? I? Yes, I did. I was thinking, I thought, A, you put it in, but it was so long ago, it must be me. But I thought this was interesting. It's kind of just summarizing what you and I were discussing last week, I should probably put some follow-up in that it's just an article on The Verge about Samsung and Dow's new monitors and why they're exciting for Mac users, which kind of just demonstrates what we were talking about, about you really do need a 4K screen for macOS these days because of the way the retina display works and all Macs are largely retina display and how it's going to hopefully shake up the market a little bit. And I do quite like the look of this Viewfinity S9. I'm curious to see what the price tag is on that when it comes out because I might well be tempted. I'm with you. I, I'm quite amused by a couple of bits of writing in the article. One major area that Dell differs from Apple or even Samsung's display is in design. Instead of the sleek minimalist designs of the others, the UltraSharp 32, 32 looks just as homely as any other Dell monitor and has a comically large, large forehead. So yeah, that's pretty much what we said, isn't it? But I don't think that's a bad thing. I think Dell should play to their strengths in these things. And if, if it does look a little bit different, it means it stands out. And I think you're absolutely right. The price is what matters. And what they really go on to say in this article is that, you know, if the, if it still costs $2,000, this 32-inch Dell one, it's still $3,000 less than the Apple one. And that's really quite a profound thing. Yeah, that's a huge difference. And it's got some more flexibility with it. That's that's the key here that you miss. No one's got a webcam, it's got speakers. You know, it, it's got a lot more in it. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if Apple actually refresh the lineup this year, but it is unapologetically Dell. But you could see that on people's desks in offices, especially with all the conference calling that we do these days, especially if somebody's got their own office, it'd be an ideal device. Or even if it was just meeting with more phone booth, you get in a lot of offices and it's just a single monitor that you dock to. I think it looks good for Dell. It does look unapologetically Dell, but we're a Dell house where I work and that would fit right in. Totally. And I'm sure you're the same as us, that there's lots of docking stations sprouted underneath people's screens and all the rest of it because they, they go home and they work on a laptop. If you could just buy the screen and plug the USB-C cable in and it's got all these things attached to the back of the monitor instead of having to buy a docking station, actually it becomes a lot more attractive proposition because it's not as expensive as having to buy a good screen and a docking station. 
Yeah, definitely an interesting thing. Yeah, completely agree. I could see us going for them. Depends what the price tag hits. That would be the only reservation there. Very much. Good. Moving on. Our venerable browser has turned 20. Yeah, I thought this was interesting because I remember Safari launching. And yeah, this is its 20th year. You were probably more of a Mac user than I was when this launched. I remember having Internet Explorer 5.5, I'm going to say, on my Mac, on Mac OS Jaguar that I was using. And it was very different to Internet Explorer on the PC, which I'd come from. But it had lots of extra features, very Mac-like. It was quite cool, but very slow. And then, yeah, Safari launched. And I think you get on a beta for free, if I remember correctly. And it was fantastic. It looked different. It was the brushed chrome. Do they call it brushed chrome? Brushed aluminium? I can't remember what it was called now. I think it was just brushed metal. Brushed metal. Mm. Yes, you're right. I think brushed metal look. And it just looked fantastic. And it was so quick and had amazing bookmarking stuff, which is all still there today and probably largely untouched, I think, all these years later. But it was just fantastic and way ahead of its time. And when they said it turned 20, I thought it was a lot younger than that if i'm honest yeah it makes you feel quite old when you see these kinds of anniversaries don't you i remember safari coming out and if memory serves the web kit that it was based on was actually from conqueror which was a linux browser that apple actually contributed back to the to the open source project that was conqueror safari is still based on WebKit. i think if you were to fire up the kde linux environment conqueror is presumably actually no i'll back up on that as default with the kde environment these days is firefox it's not conqueror anymore so it's really apple continuing to push forward WebKit. Yeah, it was, I wouldn't say it was ahead of its time, but it was a breath of fresh air in the browser market. It predated Chrome slightly, if I recall correctly. And it was amazing that Macs had their own browser. I remember thinking it was kind of pointless because Firefox was such a good browser at that point. You did have the choice of Internet Explorer if you were a Mac user as well. But to have, you know, we've seen the battery gains and the benefits Apple having their own browsers have. If memory serves, they did have a bash of putting it on Windows as well. You could get Safari for Windows for a while, but they gave up on that too. Safari on Windows was always an odd one because like iTunes, it had the brush metal interface and it looked rubbish on Windows. It just didn't fit on Windows at all. And they never really maintained it. They should have maintained it because I used to use on Windows because it synced all my bookmarks. When I worked in PC corporate world, I could have Safari and sync everything. That's why I wanted it. I like Safari. I think little did they know then that they were going to build an iPhone that half the world was going to end up using that would have Safari baked into it. So it was actually a good bet on the future for them. I think it's a great browser. I really like it. I don't think I've ever really left Safari since it came out. I think I've been on it for probably the last 20 years. Yeah, I come and go. I think when the new version of the US comes out, I sort of drift back to Safari to give it a go and then drift away again. Arc is still my browser of choice at the moment. And I think if it wasn't, I'd go back to Firefox. And frankly, I think Firefox is going to have a bit of a resurgence as, as all the, it's not privacy issues, but the blocking features of Chrome are sort of keep getting pushed back by Google, but it's on the horizon that they're going to stop all the ad block clients and things like that because Google really want you to see the adverts. They really don't like people blocking ads. So I'd say Safari is a good balance between the good thing. It's a good browser for the Mac. You get all the performance out of it and all the battery savings and all the rest of it. While not necessarily being the fastest browser in the world anymore when it comes to how these things go and the support for useful extensions within that. The big ones are there, but there's some sort of edge cases that don't work so well with it. Yeah, I never really use many extensions other than one password, I think. So probably not a big issue for me. It isn't Chrome as well, aren't they? With the browser engine going to do more tracking within the engine or something. So I can imagine... That's going to put people off. I'd love to see Firefox have a resurgence. I used to use Firefox a huge amount. I was never really a Chrome person. I probably went from IE to Firefox, then to Safari, and used Firefox more than Chrome, definitely. 
Mm. Still a good browser. And like I say, now default with certainly Ubuntu and other variants of Linux is what comes with it is, is Firefox. So that's a good thing. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Good. Moving along. This is a rumor more than, more than a fact, but I thought it was worth sort of picking up on considering we talked a little bit about it last week. This is a report from Minchi Quo via The Verge that Apple has reportedly cancelled the next iPhone SE. So we were talking last week about how the iPhone SE isn't particularly that great of a purchase, given the fact that it's quite old technology and all the rest of it. Apple seemed to be struggling slightly when it comes to this end of the market and things. And this report seemed quite timely considering what we were talking about last week. Yeah, I'm a bit disappointed with this one because I'd like to see a good iPhone at the bottom of the market. I do want us to get away from the home button so i'm a bit disappointed that if this is true that they're not going to tackle the bottom end of the market because we shouldn't be shipping phones with home buttons in five years after they got rid of the home button no and the reason apparently this rumor has risen is that quo thinks that who's the analyst who comes up with this minchi quo quo thinks the reason the phone is getting axed is it could be lower be that low, apple's lower end phones were selling worse than the company hoped and that sort of continues the story we were saying last time people are happy to buy the high end stuff but the low end stuff isn't that low end and certainly isn't well it might be low end but certainly isn't priced low end even the se compared to what you can get in other parts of the market so it's not entirely surprising to me no, yeah, I'm not surprised, but yeah, they need to go for the proper low end if they want to shift volume, I'd suggest. Yeah, and the sort of upgrade TikTok mood for this, mode for this is the third gen iPhone SE was released two years after the second, but there was a four year gap between the first model, front back to the first model. They're leaving it too long between the variants to update them. Yeah, Apple are struggling with cadence on certain devices. That's the I word I was looking for. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they are struggling, aren't they? I don't know why. You know, you don't need everything annual. And maybe that's where they've tripped themselves up in the thing about this with their OSs. They've got themselves into this annual refresh where actually it's probably causing them more harm than good now. And now they're getting bigger and bigger. It's not sustainable. So maybe they need to start moving some products to a two-year refresh and be honest about it when they introduce it. This is going to be the device for the next two years. Maybe it's the iPad. It's going to be on a two-year cadence. Maybe it's the Max. We don't need to have an Air every year. We think the M2 is plenty good enough and it's actually going to see you through the next two years and set expectation of when things are going to be refreshed, but they won't do it. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, interesting like what we are talking about last week, and we'll keep an eye on this to see what's actually released by Apple in 2023 and beyond. I thought the next story was worth putting in based on, again, what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago with the iPhone losing out its sort of camera crown. This is a follow-up story from Marquez Brownlee, who did his phone shootout two weeks ago, I think it was. And in that, the iPhone 14 Pro finished 7th out of the list of cameras. And in this one, he's drawing attention to one of the reasons it does so badly is its post-processing of photos. So you commented that if you shoot in RAW on an iPhone, it looks terrific. Marquez has taken this to the next level, link in the show notes, obviously. And it's worth scrolling down through the article, even if you only look at the article from 9to5Mac, comparing the Pixel 7 Pro compared to the iPhone 14 Pro, and how much worse it does on Marquez's skin tones and sort of the banding on the sky behind him. When there's lots of contrasty things going on in the photograph, the iPhone 14 just looks, frankly, rubbish. Yeah, it's not good, is it? Whereas I was very much looking forward to the new cameras in the iPhone 14, and for me, have largely been a hit. But yeah, this is particularly bad. It does look like he's got a very nasty scar on his hand as well. But the, the way it's processed in the background, the outline of the hoodie is not very good at all. A lot of what I've got out of the iPhone is great until you put it on a big screen, and then it's it's just not good for blowing up the photo like on your ipad or in your 27 inch studio display but they do need the option of no i know what i'm doing turn everything off and let me do it 
they could do with it. They need that halide option, you know, like a camera pro app. And I'm surprised they haven't started doing a camera pro app because they keep telling us how pro the cameras are, but yet want to do everything for you, which is what most people want, but they should have that breakaway option of, no, I'm going to go into pro mode or whatever it may be and, and pick a lot of it myself. Well, they just need to tone it down. There's no way you need to apply this amount of post-processing. They're so proud of the little algorithmic things, like we've talked a few times now about the fur on the jumper technology, which I always forget the name of it. But if this is the way that it's going, they're ruining the camera. And that's that's not a good lookout when the primary upgrade feature that we've talked about is the reason we keep buying phones more regularly than we probably need to is they push how hard, how good the cameras are if the cameras aren't so good let's face it they're fast enough the battery is good enough you're already in a two to three year upgrade cycle if they continue to go down this route with the camera that might become a four or five year upgrade cycle and people might be looking at things like a pixel 6a instead of the, you know the next iphone combined with a lack of cheap phones this is not a great trend no it's not and i agree with everything you've said so interesting to see if they do start facing into it or not yeah definitely good okay moving along this is just sort of a a catch-up feature with what's in the iphone 14 and the iphone 14 pro qualcomm who make most of the chips that go into android phones in fact i think apple still need to pay them a little bit of licensing for the modem within their their phones and ipads too yeah that's correct because they bought intel's 5g division but i haven't let you let haven't yet launched a device with an Intel 5G modem, so they are still using the Qualcomm hardware. Yeah, so there is Qualcomm hardware, although not the processor and not the GPU. That's all the A-series chips that's in there, but the the communication part of it, the modem part of it, is still licensing to Qualcomm. Qualcomm, like I say, who have largely Android phones, in their next generation, the Qualcomm Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 with X70 modem, that's catchy, will be available to have, will have a satellite messaging feature in the same way that Apple's devices have. This this can only be a good thing for people who work in remote locations or, or go out into the wilderness, surely. Oh, it's got to be good for everybody. This should be in every phone. Should it not? Like, if it saves one life, it's worth doing. So, so what they're hinting at here is eventually it will support premium messaging. So you may be able to pay your carrier or your provider a little bit more, and you'll just be able to have messaging wherever you are. Yeah, you can see that becoming the norm at some point, can't you? I'm going to pay a bit extra on top of my £20 a month so that I can message even if I've got no signal. Yeah, totally. You need to get your Snapchats or whatever. I mean, it'll be interesting. My understanding is bandwidth to satellite is quite limited. And if you suddenly add a couple of hundred thousand people in a satellite region, the ability to send messages, that could really not go well. But it's definitely, I, I agree with you. I think it's the way it's got to go. Our demand for our coverage and our technology only ever increases. It never goes down. So having this facility, either by paying for a little bit more to get at least the text messaging side of it that you'd want, and certainly the emergency messaging side is is, is all good. Yeah, no, agreed. It, it feels like a no-brainer. It's good. It's good. It's coming to Android, definitely. Definitely, and and you know, well done. It makes you wonder what the implementation will be like. Have you tried the demo setup thing on your phone yet? Now it's available in the UK. No, I've been a bit rubbish. Apologies. I should give it a go. I do see though when I haven't got signal, the SOS sign now and a picture of a satellite instead of where your three or four GP should be. So you do see it, and you know you've got it. If that makes sense. I'm put in the notes for the follow-up for next week so that you should do this. Okay. Good. Good stuff. I think that's it. Is there anything else for news? No, I think that's it. So in media, I should put a link in actually to aspire among friends. So I can't remember if I've spoken about this before, but a friend of mine 
recommended this to me on New Year's and it looks really good. It's got Damien Lewis in it and Guy Pearce, two fantastic actors. It's based upon the book by Ben McIntyre and it's all about, you know, it's all about a, a spy playing both sides, basically. So I'm really curious to watch it. I just thought I'd mention it. As like I say, the cast looks stellar. It's actually on ITVX, which here in the UK is ITV's streaming service, like the BBC iPlayer. It seems like ITV have made a relaunch of their streaming service because it used to be just ITV Hub and now all of a sudden it's changed to ITVX. I've not watched it. I've, I've seen about the first half hour. It looked very good, well filmed, a bit slow, but it's only six episodes. Interesting story and like I say, fantastic cast. So this is interesting because I happen to have put in a link to ITVX this week as well to a show that I've been watching. And I think it's what BritBox was, ITVX is becoming. And BritBox is still a thing where it contains BBC and ITV, which are the two primary broadcasters in the UK. I logged into BritBox to change my password and my email address the other week and said, we're closing down. Right, so there you go. And I've actually gone to the BritBox website and it's got an ITVX premium logo up at the top. So I think BritBox is going away, certainly in this country. I know that in America it may be a slightly different thing because there's different sort of licensing around what you can get. But no, this looks very interesting, actually. And you're right. I mean, these are two excellent actors who you'd pay pay to see in something. I presume this is in the premium version of it, or can you just start watching it? No, you can just start watching it. It's been on TV. I think the premium one, is that just for uh, moving adverts? I don't know, actually, because when I come to talking about the thing I'll talk about, there is some content held back for paying for the premium one. Yeah, you're quite right. So if you go premium with ITVX, you get thousands more hours of hit TV shows. Watch Ad Free, which was the bit that I'd seen. And you get iconic British box sets from BritBox. So that's the BritBox bit. So yeah, it does feel like maybe this is what ITV needed is a better offering because I don't think anybody really liked the ITV Hub app and there was not a lot of compelling TV to go there. But maybe now with BritBox, Ad Free and more unique shows that are restricted to just the premium tier, they've now got a much better offering. It is interesting looking at this. I'm on the ITVX site. Go premium on ITVX. It's got those things that you talk about. Looking at the list of shows on the right-hand side, I can see Friday Night Dinner, and I can see the in-betweeners. So they're Channel 4 shows. You and I both pay for the premium version of Channel 4, so our Taskmaster doesn't get interrupted with adverts, amongst other reasons, as well as being able to take it away. So are the Channel 4 shows built into this as well, then? Would appear so. I'm going to say I don't know. Surprising. I can see it. I can see outnumbered as well, which is a BBC show. So yeah. how did you and know? Fools and Horses, which is a BBC BBC show, but it wasn't that all in BritBox. Yeah, so maybe all the box sets have come out of BritBox. Well, there you go. I mean, this this bears a little more investigating. I think I may as well talk about my little thing now as well. I took it upon myself to go back and see if Sharp was available on ITV. And it is. I don't know if you remember Sharp, which is sort of Sean Bean's introduction to television as much as anything else. He's obviously become a lot more now. But back in the day, he was known for, I think Lady Chatterley's Lover was the thing he was initially cast in. Got a bit of fame from that. And then was cast in Sharp. And he wasn't meant to be the original Sharp. It was actually meant to be Paul McGann, I think, was going to be the original Sharp. But he hurt his leg and they needed a replacement. And from there, television history was made and film history was made. Because without that, we wouldn't have the Sean Bean dies and everything meme. But, uh, well, and, and he's done fantastic, isn't he? He's, he's been in a lot of shows and he is, I think he's fantastic. Well, star of TV and cinema, because, you know, Boromir and the Lord of the Rings films, obviously. He was in Ronin with Robert De Niro, if you remember that, which is a terrific film, one of the best car chases in history. Game of Thrones. Spo- spoiler, Sean Bean died in Ronin. Well, Sean Bean dies in almost everything, but he doesn't die in Sharp. Well, at least not in the ones that I remember. You're thinking, you know, I lie, he doesn't die in Ronin, they just kick him out. I think they just kick him out, yeah. He dies in everything else, though. Anyway... 
I'm thoroughly enjoying watching Sharp again. I've watched the first two sort of TV movies. They're about 90 minutes long each that have come out. The quality is not quite as good as it could be, but at least it's scaled up properly on my screen, unlike you know a number of other things. Star Trek Voyager on Netflix does not scale up properly on a 4K screen. Yeah, I think it's probably some stuff we watched 20 years ago or, or longer. If it hasn't been remastered, it does not hold it well. And it makes you wonder, crumbs, we used to watch this and it was just normal, but I guess we didn't know any better. And our TVs were a lot smaller and, and, and. There's all sorts of reasons for that. But anyway, I'm thoroughly enjoying Sharp again. If anybody hasn't watched it, I'd recommend that you do. It's funny, some of the actors that are pop up in that. So, for example, in the second episode of Sharp, the second, which is called Sharp's Eagle, Julian Fellows, who went on to write Downton Abbey, is one of the actors who just happens to be in that. Oh, fantastic. It is good when you go back and watch something. Like, oh, I didn't realise they were in this. I, I quite enjoy those moments. Yeah, it's it's very good. Anyway, well done. I mean, they show the French army and it's like 15 blokes on horses and it's clearly not the French army. There's only so much you can do with an ITV budget, but this is good. So I might have a look at this ITVX to see if it maybe kind of replaces the Channel 4 app, but I'm not convinced it would be. I think the problem you'd have there is if you want to watch Bake Off without any adverts in the next night, which I often do with our children and, and things like that. But no, it does look good. For me, it's actually making me take a bit more notice of ITV because here in the UK, I just it wasn't really on my radar, but it's increasingly becoming on my radar. Yeah, so for immediate real-time follow-up, Taskmaster is not there. But there are shows like And Then There Were None, which was a terrific sort of murder mystery thing based on Agatha Christie with the actor that was in Paul Dark, whose name escapes me at the moment. But there's some good shows on there. Yeah, no, that's good. Good. I think that's it for media, unless you've got anything else. Oh. No, I haven't watched a huge amount since we last recorded. Apologies. Actually, I have got one quick bit of follow-up on The Crown, which I finally binged and finished before my eldest daughter went back to university. Terrific. Extremely well done. Very high production values. I think I've complained at least once about how the casting of Diana's not right. That continues to be the case. However... Everybody else is absolutely excellent. Amel Staunton got sort of settled into the role and got better and better. Dominic West is just hitting out of the park every week. He is fantastic. Ever since the, and I don't think he's aged, ever since The Wire, I think he looks almost identical this day than he did in The Wire. So a really good show. I'm not giving anything away. These are real events that happened. It ends just in the in the process to leading up to Matt, Matt, Diana meeting Odie Al-Fayed and we all know what happens next. Good show. I hope they get another season. How realistic some of it is, I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, very good. Watchable television. Surely they've guaranteed another season with all the press around Harry at the moment. And obviously a lot of it stems from the events that would unfold in the next season. So it feels like it's guaranteed. Well, you would have thought there's a definite sort of full stop to a show like The Crown now. The death of the Queen, if they go from the beginning of her reign to, to the death of the Queen last year, that tells a whole story of a, of a you know, of the monarchy in Britain in modern times. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I would be amazed. There's so many more eyes on the monarchy now. It's kind of like Drive to Survive. It brought so many more eyes to Formula One. Harry alone is bringing so many more eyes to the monarchy. So they're going to get another series. I would eat my hat if they don't. One of the few things Netflix doesn't just cancel instantly. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're not going to cancel that. It's got to be a cash cow for them. Oh, it's got to be. That and Stranger Things are probably the two biggest earners, really. Anyway, Good. Games. Games. PS2 VR. No, PSVR 2. I think I got the number in the wrong place first time. Um, I I think this has passed me by. I hadn't really seen it. I mentioned it to you briefly last week. I had a little look into it. And then I saw that actually Gran Turismo 7 might be coming out. Well, it is coming out on PSVR 2. And also I've been playing a lot of it. And I'm curious is kind of where I've ended up in that I've never done any VR. I've never owned any VR equipment. I've heard lots of good things about the, about the Quest 
to i don't know whether i want this or not because part of the appeal of playing on the playstation my house is it's something one of us or two of us will do but the, the other people can watch and and there is that's quite a family sociable thing if that makes sense so if i'm doing a race on my own i'll talk to my children and they'll watch and vice versa if they're having a game of fifa or whatever it may be so i don't know whether i want this but a i didn't know whether you'd seen it and b whether we should talk a little bit about it so it's playstation's new vr for the ps5 so you must own a ps5 to have it it's just you know some of you a, a, a set of glasses in essence you wear on your head and two controllers one for each hand i'm quite interested in it because i've never done it but equally not sure if it's for us as it's it's a bit it's one way of excluding your family from from, from enjoying the game that you're playing and that's where i'm at with it what, what do you think about, about it yeah, so, I mean, it's quite timely. I've, I've just seen a rumor that Apple are going to announce their VR headset in the spring. So, potentially. And then, potentially. So, it's a rumor. It's definitely a rumor. And then you've got the PSVR 2, and you've got the Oculus Quest 2, and you've got the Oculus Pro that we've talked about before as well, which I still need to put a link in the show notes to the crazy Verge video where, where, where the lady got mobbed by people finding out there was a girl in the room. Yeah. I'm probably less interested in the PSVR than the PSVR 2 than I should be, given my experience with the PSVR. There is, every so often, a moment when you've got, certainly the first ver- generation version of on where you actually do get caught in it, and I can't remember the name of the game. The the, the name the game that you get originally with PlayStation with the little sort of uh, PlayStation characters, like something Room or Zone, or uh, I forget, you, you know the thing I mean. Certainly with the PS5, it was the demonstration for all the haptics and triggers on your, on your controller. Yeah, I can't remember what the... Game was cool, but I remember having a, a very brief go and I barely played it, I think, to be it, fair. It's a really impressive technical demo of what the controllers are capable of. And they had something like that for the original PSVR. And again, that was super impressive. It was so blown out. It's such a brightly colored program that you didn't notice the re- poor resolution on the screens in the original PSVR. So that was a good thing. I sort of demonstrated, but the second you sort of dropped out of that and went to some of the other games, and I didn't. Have, I think I only had two other games. I had Star Trek Bridge Crew, and then there's an app that you could integrate with P, with YouTube VR, so you could actually look at some videos that YouTubers had captured. And both of those weren't good enough. You know, the resolution was so poor and all the rest of it. So that experience, coupled with the sheer awkwardness of wearing the headset to to focus it properly on your eyes, you want it completely blacked out which means it's sort of got this rubber gasket that sort of sits around your eyepiece. And then if you wear glasses or something like that, there was a focus knob that you sort of knurled back and forth to sit it f- far enough away from your head. And for me, focusing that pushed the gasket away from my eyes, which meant you were getting light bleeding at the bottom. So these already inferior screens were having that. And then you had to do things like, well, A, it's got a big sort of um- umbilical of cables that go over the back of it so it can connect to the PlayStation. And the headphones that you need to wear too. And unless, it's interesting this actually comes with controllers because the original controllers for the PSVR were those sort of light stick things with, with balls on top. Yeah, I had seen those as well. I'm cu- I'm super curious, but I don't know if I want to risk £500 on this. Yeah, I mean, this looks like the Oculus Quest, I've got to say. The controllers look very similar to it. The, the you know, And I do think you need custom controllers for VR things because they need to know where they are in in space because they're going to draw your hands 
because otherwise you're taken out of the of the moment, aren't you? Unless you can see your hands in a first-person game of some sort around in front of you, which is why the original PlayStation things had the balls on top of them, because the cameras in the headset could track the glowing balls and they'd know a representation of where they were in sort of in space. And these will be similar. I would presume they'll be tracking things on the rings around the controllers, so it can paint them on your on, on your screen as you're looking for them. Until you get used to these things, it's a bit odd. The I was talking about my hot ass stick that I bought for the for flight simulator and it is originally a playstation one it's why i got it cheap for pc some games know it's a playstation thing and reference the buttons square circle triangle x i don't know where they are it's it's a stick all the buttons are facing away from me it's very different to it being on controller this has the same problem i don't know what triangle is on one of these things because i've got a vr thing over my face now you can get used to that quite quickly of course you can you get used to it on the normal controller but it's just taking you out of sort of the immersion of this as well so i slightly wonder about the complexity of the controllers yeah what's it gonna be like to drive a car so i mentioned gt7's come in as a free update how am i gonna drive a car with those sticks i don't know maybe, maybe but maybe you should get used to it i'm i'm curious and i have reserved one it comes in about a month but i've reserved one knowing i could probably cancel it was kind of my option. I've paid no money. I could cancel it 30 days from now. But in 30 days' time, if I want them wanted to order one, I may not get one. So I just thought, I'll, I'll reserve one tentatively. And I have reserved one with Horizon Call of the Mountain, which looks like a cool game to come with it. And it looks like a kind of game I would enjoy. But I just can't make my mind up, if I'm honest. And like I say, for me, I think I'm concerned how much I'd use it. Will I get motion sick? And will it separate me from my family playing a game? Because we do like to watch each other play games which is quite a nice thing to do with your children and to be involved in what they're doing and vice versa how's your play date it's good but i don't play on it enough right so i mean that the, you can see that was a slightly leading question and that you know that's something that's not as anti-social as something like this that, don't get me wrong when you get one of these in the household everybody wants to have a go they all want to see what it looks like and plays like but it's just you playing it and often they can show what's going on in the screen but it's a personalized thing for you so there's that. I'm, I'm reading the text of the article as we talk about this here. And it actually, some of the complaints they've got about it are exactly the ones I sort of just voiced from using the first one. That it's more comfortable than, than the previous generation. But the actual lenses inside the headset are the right distance for you. That's why you can adjust the sort of focus knob. The screen looked great, though things sometimes felt a bit hazy at the edges, which could also happen with the first PSVR. So it seems to me they haven't quite got the screens inside of it sorted out. And that, to me, was the biggest failing in the device. Yeah, I'm a, like, as you can tell, I'm 100% 50-50 on it. But I just thought it was an interesting talking point because I've never owned one. You obviously have. And it's a lot of money. And I just don't know, would it end up ruining the PlayStation that when we, we'd play on it, but we'd be anti more even more anti-social playing the computer game in the house? Or should I actually cancel it and wait and see what Apple come out with and see what the whole arena looks like? Yeah, to me... Oculus have got this a little bit more right. I mean, I, I actually haven't established from this. Is it still connected with an umbilical uh, umbilicus to the PlayStation or is it a wireless device? No, the answer to that question. Okay, so let's assume that it has still got one. The Oculus Quest 2 is wireless. It runs all the things inside of it. And I think if Apple released one of these things, you would hope that the pro most of the processing would be done on your phone or your iPad. It's probably not going to be your Mac, let's be honest, but on one of those. So they can offboard some of it. So you charge it up and you use it and you haven't got that feeling of being tethered to something. That's quite critical for something like this. The weight of the cable isn't very much, but it does yank you out into reminding you that your head is still attached to a, a console. I think that's something Oculus have got right. So for me, A, they need to be wireless. 
I understand why they're not when you're talking about the sort of types of graphics that a PlayStation's chucking around. But I think an iOS device or, a play, or an iPad device should be better than that. And that would be one of the things that would stop me seeing any success. They're also saying the Apple one might be $3,000, which... Uh, yeah, that, that would stop me. What, what, what do you think are the chances of VR going the way of 3D TV and 3D cinema? I'm surprised Sony have come back with another version of it. That's so I think the chances are very high. So I think this one might be wireless because in the box, it's got VR headset, the VR2 sense controllers, a USB cable for controller pairing and charging, stereo headphones, three pairs of earpieces, printed materials, no mention of an umbilical cord. Hmm. Okay, well, that that that's encouraging. Um, it's good and bad though, isn't it? Because are they going to get the throughput on the wireless for the 4K screens that you're going to have because it's got dual 4K screens? So I'm so mixed on this. I just don't know what to do. But I'm wants to try it. And it could be awesome. I don't think you've got a lot to lose in one sense. I mean, if you're to order it and dislike it, you're going to be able to sell it very quickly because they will be in such demand in the first few weeks. And you'll know instantly whether you like this thing or not. And you yeah, can out- I hate selling stuff on. Well, just re- return it then. Say it was you know, defective in some way, shame on arm. I don't think you've got a lot to lose by trying it as you haven't tried it. I, I, I'd let you be the guinea pig for once. Often you let me be the guinea pig for these things, but I think it's your turn to be the guinea pig. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to leave my order in and get a bit nearer it and see if there's any releases come out or the embargo drops or what have you. If nothing else, I think it's quite instructive for your children to try something like this out. You know, they're, they're, they're used to the same way we are, to being quite passive in front of the machine. You sit there with the thing, you play your football game, you switch off and you go away. This is a lot more immersive. Like I say, the, the hint I got of how much more immersive it was was really quite profound. It was a good thing. But I was dragged out of that immersion so frequently with all sort of hiccups and headaches and controller issues and cable issues and screen blur and, ble- and light bleed and all the rest of it that it was untenable to me. They may have a very different experience and you may have a very different experience. Yeah, well, we'll watch this space in, in follow-up. Maybe, like I say, about a month from now, I'll, I'll make a go-no-go no go decision. Sounds good to me. Fair enough. Okay, very small bit of follow-up. I've just been playing Call of Duty Warzone DMZ. This is the, you're meant to go in with your friends, you do a contract, and then you get out again. I don't really have friends when it comes to these things. What, what? You might have to join me at some point, but I've been playing with randoms. It's some, There's something quite compulsive about the gameplay within it. But just to give you an example of how that's going, I joined a game earlier today. The guy, two guys are with me went, I'm off on my own mate, and they both just shot off in different directions, and I died instantly. I am still playing it, but I don't know if I'd call it, say I was enjoying it, but a great mode if you've got friends who also play at Call of Duty, and again, it's free. So that's all I've really had time to do this week. Sounds like a good, good additional gameplay mechanic for Call of Duty, which is fantastic. But yeah, sorry, I'm a bit rubbish at playing games online. You're, you're a busy man, Chris. You're a busy man. I should probably be doing more things myself and not sitting around playing so much Call of Duty, but such is life. That's true. Main show, which may be short this week. Yeah, so A, we haven't recorded that many days ago, and B, there's just not a lot going on. It's still week one of January. But I just thought it'd be interesting just look at a couple of articles that some have come out today, actually, of... What if what the future, i.e. 23, looks like for Apple? So just briefly, the first article is probably more traditional Mac size stuff and Apple stuff. So first quarter of 23, what does it look like? And they're saying that we'd get new MacBook Pro models, 14 and 16 inch, possibly a new 27 inch display, which would be interesting given that we're talking about it. We're not seeing the software update coming out for it. 
are they going to have one with better specs to more align with with the competition so i'm curious to see what what that looks like and would they keep the current screen in the lineup but, but maybe reduce the cost which would be fantastic game next up was mac mini i think we were expecting the mac mini this year with with m2 chips and it'd be good to get one with an m2 pro because you can't currently buy a mac desktop with an m1 pro chip in it which is their sort of middle of the line chip so be interesting that i'm do like the Mac Mini. I've got one. I think it's a great device. I wish I bought one with a bigger hard drive, if I'm honest. But living, living Mac Pro as well. Is that coming out? They reckon first quarter, which I don't know. It seems punchy because there's never any firm rumors on what the Mac Pro is going to look like. Some people are saying it's going to have the same look and f- look of the case that we have today, but with no expandable RAM. Who knows? But I'd love to see where they go with it. Like, what is the Mac Pro going to be? I wish they were doing this extreme chip where they take two ultras and bolt them together. Because I'm never going to buy it. It's going to be ten thousand pounds. But it'd be great just to see what they can, what can they do? What is the art of the possible? Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that one. I think the Mac Pro should be a halo thing that you either you aspire to or it does fit the the desire of that, I don't know, 10, 15, 1500 people who could actually use that much power editing videos or doing data science or whatever it is that you need such a hefty machine for. I I mean, to me, a 14 and a 16-inch M2 MacBook Pro is kind of a no-brainer. They need updating. They're you know they're cracking on a little bit. The M2 in the in the MacBook Air is showing the way to go. Having said that, it's not that much faster, is it really, than the M1? It's not that much of an evolution, whereas the M1 was over the Intel chips that came before. But why wouldn't you update them to the same sort of layout as, as the newer ones to give you more a bit more speed and performance? You could sell a few more laptops. No brainer. I was going to say I'd love to see the Mac Mini just take a different shape. Like we've had that slab of aluminium for a long time. It'd be good to say right now you're going to do proper you know apple silicon let's let's have something properly designed around the apple silicon rather than taking the intel box and changing the guts do you think there is a reason for the mac mini to continue yes why so many people own them because it's cheap i'm using it as a desktop which i'm sharing with the family it is a cheap device for people that want a cheap desktop or a server or you know if you know a device just to do things in the corner of the room I think it should exist because you can't get a desktop any cheaper, but it should be cheaper than what it is new. It would be my view because it's about eight, nine hundred pounds. I think they should do something cheaper to get people into computing. I think they'd say you should buy an iPad to get you into computing. Yeah, but if you want me to do more to start doing Xcode, is you know they need you know cost of living crisis that we're seeing. They should have something at the bottom end of the market, which can be. Maybe it is just the the current one, but at a cheaper price point, because it's a great device. You can pick them up for about six hundred and fifty pounds. Right. So a new M1 Mac Mini is six hundred and ninety nine pounds for eight core CPU and two hundred and fifty six gig storage and eight gigs of RAM, which is a great startup computer for somebody. It's not enough, I'd argue. I think you're going to hit two hundred and fifty six gigs of storage headroom almost instantly these days. Yeah, maybe. So you're, to me, you're immediately going for the 900 quid one to get you 512 gigs of storage. Also still only 8 gigs of RAM, mind, but but that's that's a bit better. And by the time you spend 900 quid on this, and I, I don't have the page open in front of me, but I'm going to sort of try and flannel my way up to it just for a second, is how much is a Mac Studio? £2,000. £2,000. Right, so it starts at 1999 So it's £1,000 more than that sort of ba- reasonable spec Mac Mini. Which is, you know, it's quite a jump in price, but I, th- I wonder how comfortable Apple are with that. I think they kind of want to push people up to that end, is my feeling. Possibly, but the Mac Studio 
if you want a Mac Studio, you know you want a Mac Studio. If you just want a desktop computer, you want a Mac Mini. Saying that, you still only get 512 gigs of SSD in a £2,000 computer. Yeah, it's not. I did look at it recently because I had some on the refurb, and it's just not that. It's not that enticing a machine unless you just want the performance. So I do think there is a place for a Mac Mini. They need to be at the lower end of the market. It's amazing actually. They in the desktop line, they've got such a gap. I guess the iMac is in the middle. You could get, but it's quite a different device because obviously it comes with a screen, and it's probably the machine for most people. I mean, don't get me wrong, being a bit devil's advocacy here, because I really like the Mac Mini. I think it's a really good machine that serves lots of purposes. Lots of people have them on their sides as servers in some way, shape, manner, or form. If you want a Mac server reasonably cheap, it's a way to go. There is quite a good article of somebody trying to use it actually as a Docker server, a Mac Mini, and struggling really badly to do so. But I think it can serve lots of things. If you need, like you say, a desktop for your family, maybe something you're on Plex on the background, maybe a bit of Homebridge or something like that, it's more than good enough for that. Yeah, I think it's a good little all-round device. It's not going to set the world on fire, but it shouldn't do. That's why you would buy the, the studio, for example. So I think it's a good device. It'd be great to see where they go with it. Like I say, doing proper design for you know an M2 chip around Apple Silicon and not just taking an Intel chassis. Yeah, but even if they put an updated M1 in it, like an M1 Max or something that is in the Mac Studio, gave it a little more RAM, a little more breathing room. It doesn't need 32 gigs of RAM, but if, if it started with 16 and sold it for about 1,100 quid, they're probably on a winner with that, frankly. It is amazing that Apple seemed to get to eight gigs of RAM, I don't know, eight years ago or whatever it was, and then we're just still there. And I, I don't disagree. I think they should come in more in this day and age. I'm with you. So yeah, that would be my thought is that upgrade the, the MacBook Pros. I'm not sure about this, ex another external display. It feels a bit soon after the introduction of the, of, the, of the studio's display that you've got for them to be introducing more. I'm sure there are more on the way, but I have this feeling Apple are a bit, little supply constrained at the moment. This is why we're only seeing some of these things sort of drop out of the production status at the moment. And in fact, given the trouble they had getting iPhone Pros out, I suspect they're probably supply constrained right across the line, which is my, where we are missing things. Yeah, potentially. Maybe the screen there is just a refresh to the, the top of the line one, and it's not actually the bottom of the line one that I've got. So who knows on this one? Yeah, but the, the XDR is 32 inches, isn't it? Yeah. So it doesn't feel right to me doing a 27-inch? Yeah, maybe. But then if they did a 27-inch with promotion in it, mini LED, you know, and it's hitting a lot of what the 32-inch did, but actually better, has a webcam, has speakers, etc. So I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see. We need to see it, don't we? We need to see the lineup because they've obviously got a plan, you'd have thought. Yeah. And then the last thing in this article is a new full-size HomePod. Yeah, I'm not sure how well that will go. I th we talked about this last week. I think they do need more things in the home. They do need something with a screen on it. They do need to go beyond the HomePod Mini, which is all they've got here at the moment. So I'd like to see them do something. I'm just not sure. I'm not sure their heart's in the right place with a home. I can't see all this coming in the first quarter. I'm not sure we've seen the full view of the home yet. I think they need to get they need to get to matter to then open the doors. Yeah. But should Apple be making lots of accessories for the home or should they leave that up to everybody else? I, I'd say they should leave it up to everybody else, frankly. But I guess we'll see. So second quarter, 15.5-inch MacBook Air with M2 and M2 Pro chip options. I don't know if there'll be an M2 Pro chip option. I think they'll just do a bigger one. I can see the gap, the hole in the market for a bigger one. They should just do a bigger one and have less fragmentation. You want a MacBook Air, you buy it with the M2. There's, there's already a lot of... Yeah, I think I think that's what they should do. If you remember when the MacBook Air, the second generation MacBook Air was released, it was in two screen sizes. The one that had the massive bezels. I think it was an eleven inch and a thirteen inch. Am I right in thinking that? And they, that I had the eleven. Fantastic. Yeah, it was a great machine. If you, all you wanted was a little light thin machine to get around with, it was a terrific machine. As is as it is these days. So I don't see why there isn't. You know, in the pro market, you've got a choice of 
13, 14, or 16 inch, and the 13 inch shouldn't exist. But within the Air market, I don't, you know, the iPad has different screen sizes, the MacBook Pro has different screen sizes. It's ridiculous the MacBook Air has been constrained to one. Yeah, no, I I think they should do this 15 inch MacBook. It'll be interesting to see whether it sells or not, I guess, like with the iPhone Plus, you know, is there enough of a market there? But it'd be interesting to see if they do it. And they should just, you know, somebody should file up the AutoCAD files, just drag it slightly bigger, job done, get yeah, it built. I, I, I think so. People want, like bigger screens on the laptop or they want to save a bit of money. And I think it's a long stretch from, from a MacBook Air, particularly when it was under £1,000, you know, up to the, the beginning of the MacBook Pro line. As we said, there's gaps in the market now, and I'm surprised they're leaving gaps like that. Tim's not normally one to leave a gap, and they're beginning to appear all over the lineup now. So this, to me, is kind of a no-brainer. Bigger MacBook Air. Yeah, done. All right, second half of 23 then. So apparently a mixed reality headset and there are rumours that we're going to get a preview in March and then we see some more at WWDC and then it comes out in the, in the fall. So be interesting to see, is it gonna is that going to bear fruit this year? I don't know. And again, what's it going to look like? What are we going to use it for? So I'm, I'm curious on this one. It's probably why I'm stalling as we were just talking about the PSVR 2. But yeah, interesting to see where that goes. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it too much more. I feel like we've done it to death in, in one way, shape, or form. My, my summary is £3,000 is too much. $3,000 is too much. Unless they make it... And, well, I know, it's just too much. End off. You know, there isn't another. There isn't a story that's, that can convince me a £3,000 headset is going to sell well in this market. Given, we don't know, you know, you've put 500 down on the Sony one. We know the Oculus Quest Pro at $1,500 isn't going well. And it's missing a whole why for me, which we've said before. Why do I spend three thousand? What do I get out of that? What's the what 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 average consumer is going to be sold on something that expensive to do what? Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure the market's there. So it'll be interesting to see. And it's kind of like when they bought the iPad in. Is there room in our lives for another device? And I don't. I don't know. We need to see it. I think. Have they got a good story to tell around it? They did with the watch. They told a good story, but. It wasn't quite right when they first released it, but they correct course corrected, and now everybody's got an Apple Watch. So it'll be interesting to see what the story is. Yeah, they rely a lot on developers, though, don't they? For all they give developers abuse to sort of, you know, the, the store is ours and you'll pay us for every cent you earn on it kind of attitude that they have. I feel there's been a bit of a, sh- a step change in developers' attitudes to Apple, that what they'll accept and what they'll develop for, particularly as the App Store becomes more of a... I hesitate to use the word cesspool. That's not right. What am I looking for? A sort of slightly more dangerous environment. It's certainly not the ability to make money that it was when the iPhone launched with the App Store back in the day. So I think they've lost that to a certain degree. If you haven't got first-party developers, and some will buy it, some will have it already, presumably, that, that aren't able to tell that story for what it is, then it, it becomes even more questionable. Yeah, yeah, true. And like you said, we've done it to death and we don't really have a huge amount of new detail other than Apple are doing it. We don't know what the costs are. We've heard tentatively they might pre-announce in March and WWDC do a bit more and that they're putting more focus on it other than iOS 7. So iOS 7, iOS 17. But it, it, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out and whether it does actually come out this year. Yep. I don't think anybody's clamoring for it. No, I agree. Third quarter, new iPhones. That's not a surprise. I think we talked about them enough last week. We don't need to dive into that. New Apple Watch Series 9, fine. No mention of a new Apple Watch Ultra, so that'll be interesting. I wonder whether the Ultra could go two years. I, I'd be quite happy if it went two years, yeah. I don't think. Yeah. yeah. Good. And then the fourth quarter, an iMac with an M3 chip. I guess it'll be due by then. iMac Pro with mini LED display. Mm, let's see if we get what that is. I mean... To me, there is a gap in the iMac that it should go up to 27 inches. It was a 27-inch device for years and years and years. It surprises me to this day that they released just a 24-inch one. 
hundred percent agree. And if I was to replace my iMac and my iMac, my Mac Mini, would I go and buy an iMac or would I go and buy another Mac Mini right now? I'd probably buy another Mac Mini and a bigger screen. But should I be going? You know, an iMac for me and the family would be ideal in that space. Not a pro, but a 27-inch one, exactly like the one is today. Yeah, I'm curious to see where they go with that. I do wonder whether we're going to see M3 chips next year because we haven't got, got M2s out the door yet. Do we need a chip every year as well? I don't think we do. I think they're trying to do too much. I think they could slow the pace down a little bit. In the same way we've talked about the operating system losing quality because they're you know they're not focused on fixing the bugs before they're trying to get the next one out the door. They need to do the same with the chips. Like so, it needs to go across the line. We're still talking about M1 MacBook Pros. We're still talking about M1 Mac Minis and Mac Studios and Macs that came out this year that are still running that. You know, the iPad line is very confused. Let's not confuse the Mac line in the same sort of way that the iPad line is. Be consistent and make the upgrades. Yeah, agreed. And it's weird we want people to slow down delivering new gear. But I think they they should probably do it. I think on a two-year cycle now. Yeah, I'm with you. Good. I think that's a reasonable little forecast for what's coming in the year. Yeah, I thought it was a good article. It's interesting to see what's coming. A lot, lot in quarter one, which would be interesting to see how much that actually sees the light of day in the next three months. Brilliant. I think we can call that a show, Chris. As I don't have an app of the week this week, I'm afraid, I haven't had a chance to sort of review any, and I should really call it the occasional app of the week because I was beginning to feel the pressure of having to find an app every week. I think it's hard to find an app every week and test it, so I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Maybe app of the month. App of the month. That might be more reasonable, and that way you've got a chance to find some on iPad as well. We can both make our recommendations. No pressure for me then. Well, you know, we've got the 52. We've got the big year coming up next week. So I think us trying to find something to, to shout out about a year's worth of the podcast isn't a bad thing. Yeah, no, fair point. Fair point. Anyway, let's call it call it a show then. So if anyone wants to get in contact, do drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com or on Twitter at WFS underscore podcast or on Mastodon. Rod is at G5Maniac at Mastodon.scot and I am at underscore CJP at Mastodon.social. Brilliant. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. Have a good one. Bye.